Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Dalbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Twitter at Creativity Play and at Facebook as well. Before we welcome our guest on this St. Patrick's Day, I want to recognize the great creativity, imagination, and playfulness of the Irish people in both Ireland and around the world and the contributions that they have made to music, literature, culture, spirituality, and yes, even food. Raise a pint to Irish creativity today. Salancha. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Bernie DeCoven, international lecturer, workshop facilitator, and award-winning game designer. In his best-selling book, The Well-Played Game, A Playful Path to Wholeness, he voiced a philosophy of healthy competition that formed the core teachings of the New Games Foundation. Bernie DeCoven, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you. Well, picking up on the St. Patrick's Day theme, we were just talking before we went on about the, the Blessings game that we'll come to in a little bit, but I also went down that road with a, a few Irish quotations that seem to relate to our theme today, so I want to give you one of those to start off our conversation, perhaps, and pick up on, on how it connects to some of the work that you're doing around play and, and games and fun. And it's from Oscar Wilde, who said, Imagination is the quality given to a man to compensate him for what he is not and a sense of humor was provided to console him for what he is. <laughs> so a little fun, a little imagination, a little Irish is that humor. An Irish, is that, was that an Irish saying? That's from Oscar Wilde, yes. <laughs> so wondering, wondering how that connects to the work that you do and the ideas that you're trying to help us understand about the importance of play and, and fun and imagination. Well, there's, playfulness is a very valuable commodity to have in one's personality, in one's relationship, uh, because it, um, it, helps, it helps us respond to life uh, in, in a way that's more immediate and, um, and lighter. And I think if we can maintain a certain amount of lightness uh, in the way that we view ourselves and the world, um, it's a lot easier for us not only to survive, um, but also to to pursue the the path of happiness, um, to deal with other people's unhappiness, um, and to create a world that's uh, better for us to all live in together. And you were uh, just saying a little bit before we went on as well about connecting that particular idea to looking what's going on with tragedies in the world at the moment, particularly in Japan. And can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I think one of the things that that we in the West have to deal with is that um, uh, the news that we have been receiving from so many corners of the world have been so awful, um, such so so depressing um, that we we tend to become uh, darker and darker um, because. There's nothing that we can do about it except uh, except feel other people's pain. And we need to, I guess there are two things that we have to be cautious of. One is becoming inured, is that the right way of saying it, inured, to, to other people's pain. 
and the other is uh, from taking it too personally, too much on ourselves, because it's a burden that nobody really um, can deal with uh, um, intelligently. So the way that we really, this is again another reason for us needing to to balance our lives with playfulness, uh, to, to seek out um, uh, children, to play with children. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is even, even in the midst of a tragedy, there are still children, and, um, and these children need to be um, uh, given, uh, returned back to a kind of a sense of normality, if possible. And one of the ways of doing it is to play with them. And when adults start playing with the children, it restores play in themselves. And by, by once again being reminded of, of that gentle touch of playfulness, um, it just it makes everything a little bit more bearable, a little bit more endurable. I just um, heard a report from Japan from a director of of an agency, just like you're talking about, Bernie, where um, he and the and the agency they go in and they they gather the children to play as soon as possible after tragedies in various areas. They've been in Haiti. They were there after Katrina and uh, the tsunami and um, Thailand and so forth. And now they're in Japan. And so I wonder, um, closer to home here as well, how you would advise families to have more fun together and play. Oh, gosh, there's so many ways. Um, it can uh, go to your games closet and find a game. There's so many wonderful games that you can play with kids that have just the, that are just... Um, uh, invitations to play. Um, even better, I think, is let your kids be the guide. Kids are always ready to play, and if you give them the chance, they'll they'll show you exactly exactly what you need to play with them. You might wind up running playing tag in the house and running around being a monster, but um, but that's that's right there at your fingertips. All you all you have to do is just uh, give them the permission, and also give yourself the permission. And you can play with food. You can make new new recipes. You can strain, try strange food combinations. Look at St. Patty's Day. You can make green green eggs if you want, and green chicken soup, or green borscht, or green whatever. <laughs> uh, or if you're feeling vegetarian about it, you can just eat greens together. Um, uh, and that that that's just an invitation to play and to and to to separate. To separate the the what might become the you might perceive as being the normal world from the the world of 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 love and intimacy and joy that is the very heart of your family. Well, I was watching you on on the video where you were at a I believe at a laughing yoga conference or workshop of some kind, play shop of some kind, and yeah. you were um, leading um, the group of adults, look like all adults, in a side-by-side game where you ended up clapping together side-by-side, oh, yeah. and you asked them uh-huh. to be closer in nexus to each other or something. And I wonder, so in, in families, um, 
there often is not that much play going on in our culture, but also in groups, which can become like family when you've been in a group for a long time. So I wonder how you work with adults who are um, not that light, that are very serious when you when you walk into that space. How do you um, how do you initiate that play, and what do you find? Well. Generally, I try to find a game that um, is as non-threatening as possible. I often, um, in fact, will start out uh, talking about um, quitting practice, um, saying that um, the next couple of games that we're going to play, um, we're also going to practice quitting. So if you feel like not playing, then just just try quitting for a few minutes and then come back in. And I make sure that the games I play are the open-ended games that would allow us to to quit and and rejoin easily. This way, I know that the people who are playing are playing because they want to play. And one of the things that uh, that goes on in organizations is people, even when they bring somebody in uh, as wonderful and playful as I am, uh, people people are feeling that they they have some obligation to play. As long as they feel that they have this obligation to play, then you're going to get some very unplayful behaviors, a lot of times very destructive behaviors. Um, but if they feel that they have the choice to play or not to play and that there's no there's no uh, negative consequence for their choosing not to play, uh, then, then the quality of play is going to be much, much higher and their sense of, of enjoyment much deeper when they do choose to play. I also play games, uh, as I said, that are very easy and open-ended in the beginning. And here's a game that you can play uh, with your family or, or um, uh, with with adults um, uh, that that creates a lot of uh, sense of permission to play. And um, it's called, well, uh, we call it the sound and the fury, basically because it signifies nothing. And and you start you're all <laughs> I like that. You start and you're all you're all standing in a circle. And um one person usually I start so I can exemplify um and and establish a certain permission, um, makes any kind of sound they want and any kind of motion they want. And then everybody else does it all together. Then the next person goes and makes any kind of sound they want and any kind of motion they want and everybody does that. And then the next person goes, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it goes around the circle three or four or five times. And it's amazing how that really silly, purposeless, pointless game creates a sense of such laughter and joy because people start, they, they begin to realize that it really doesn't matter what they do because everybody else is going to do it too. So, so they start exploring their boundaries of silliness a little bit and uh, and make monkey sounds and start twirling around and clapping their hands and doing things they wouldn't normally do or wouldn't consider to be appropriately adult or maturely um, employee-like. Um, and, uh, and this great, wonderful freedom is established. And there's, and there's laughter and spontaneity, um, all because you set up this little this little silliness, this little permission for them to play. And doing it in the family is just great because your your two-year-old can can 
uh, do it just as easily as you can. Though a lot of the things your two-year-old uh, does might be a little bit too challenging for you <laughs> to follow. <laughs> Often. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So we mentioned um, in the introduction that your your book title is called The Well-Played Game. And can you say something about the this topic of the well-played game? What is it? What does that look like? Well, there's a phenomenon that happens even in the most competitive of sports um, when uh, the quality of the game itself becomes so good that um, a, a member of one team can turn to a member of the other team at the end of the game and say, you know, that game was really was really a good game. It was really well played. And that's an important thing. That's a very deep kind of thing to understand, that we can really rise above the competition uh that we're that that is the the basic contract of our relationship and appreciate the quality of the experience that we're providing for each other because in fact in a game that's really that's really why we compete because when we compete we can urge each other on to even better and better performance there's a wonderful quote from uh Bill Russell um uh, in his, uh, he he wrote a uh, a book called Memoirs of an Opinionated Man, um, and he talks about. I have it on on my site, Deep Fun. If you type in R U S S E L L, uh, you'll come to that that uh, that quote. It's a lengthy quote, but he talks about how how when the game was really well played, how it took him to a whole other level of play, where he was able to feel a connection between himself and not only all the players on his team, but also all the players on the other team. And he even says about, I mean, here he is, they're, they're, this is the Boston Celtics, and they're, they're in the midst of their, uh, of their championship game, and they're playing against another team. And, and he says, you know, I'm playing, and I'm, I'm, our team is up against the other team like 30 points, and I just can't, can't get over the fact that I'm really unhappy that that other team is not playing better. So it's not it's and and the importance of that is to realize that it's not really just about winning. It's about the quality of the play experience. It's about helping each other experience that amazing um almost extra human kind of quality of play uh where where we just we really feel that together we are at our best. And now for the long silence. I was letting that sink in. <laughs> sinking in. It was a contemplative silence, of course. Yes. I meant to honor of that. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Along with silly putty, is that what I yes. was thinking about too? Um, yeah, well, I wanted to go back to the um, with that silence and that contemplative air in mind. The blessings game that was mentioned, um, oh, yeah. that Steve mentioned, and you two were talking about. Can you tell us about the blessings game? Yes, it's kind of a, um, a mock competition where you try to uh, out bless each other. Uh, so um, I have. <clears throat> let me give you a, an example. Um, <clears throat> I say, um, may you never run out of toilet paper. 
That's my blessings to you. And then you say in response, but if you do, may there be a box of tissues nearby. Uh, and then I say, and if there isn't, may there at least be a sink in easy reach. Mm-hmm. That's an example of the blessings game. Uh, perhaps it's too organic. Um, here, here's another one. Uh, I say, may the fruits of your labor never spoil. <laughs> this fruits spoil is kind of a joke. And then um, you say, and may they all be delicious. And then I say, and may they always be ripe. And you say, <clears throat> and may they be available in your local supermarket. And I say, on sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't find that uh, brilliant and funny and joyful? Um, <laughs> so let's try. I, I, <laughs> I actually I find it um, playfully serious or seriously exactly. playful. Um, it makes me it makes me uh, laugh because of the subject matter, but it also um, it also makes me ponder and and, yeah. and what we can be grateful for. That's exactly and how right. and how we can respond to each other. Yeah. And 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 it's such an amazing uh, when we play it. It's such an amazing relationship between people as they're playing it because they're both being funny and loving at the same time. Uh-huh. And we, and, um, and that's an example of a kind of a game that we can get into that we can allow ourselves to be into. That um, that that really is not just not just playful, not just fun, but somehow takes us to a higher level as in the well-played game. So, for example, uh, I have a list of what I call blessing starters. Um, like, uh, may all your accidents be happy. May you have as much money as you know what to do with. Mm-hmm. May your injuries heal before anyone adds insult to them. And here's the last one. May your misery have company. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> they they strike me as like um, Zen cones, you know. <laughs> they are kind of like Zen cones. But, you know, um, I mean, the Irish, Irish also are very good at making blessings. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they understand uh, the blessings game in a way that's, um, I don't know if they actually try play out bless each other, but I mean, they just have these beautiful, beautiful blessings. Um, uh, and and um, um, what do you call it when you're when you're uh, having a, uh, when you uh, toasts, toasts um, mm-hmm. that uh, that just really that's a kind of another. You know, I never did that having a kind of a toasting uh, out toasting each other. But I think that's kind of what happens. Uh, and again, I think so many of the Irish examples are 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 what. What Mary Alice was just saying about both playful and serious. I mean, some of them are very serious blessings, and and many of them are are extremely playful and funny, and um, overlap like you just said into the toast. Right. Is great. Yes. And I, you know, I think one of the uh, great pieces that have come out of of uh, the Irish culture, and 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 many of the Irish playwrights and poets. Well. W- just to pick up on one of them again, George Bernard Shaw, who has many, many funny uh, lines in his in his writings. One of them says, "A life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable but more useful than a life spent doing nothing." And 
that idea of mistakes. I mean, I, I think some of what you were just sharing a little bit ago about um, that, that simple exercise about the sound and the motion um, probably is all about mistakes. And, and where else does that – how do you encourage people to make mistakes through, through playful activity in the work that you do with, with different groups? Um, in that, in that, uh, that particular game, mistakes lead to more fun. Um, because, I mean, if you if you if it's your turn, and you mean to just like, for example, do a graceful spin, and instead you trip, everybody else has to trip also. So so and having to trip brings everybody to a whole new level of fun. So so there so you really you reach a point where there really is no mistake. Now I learned this from. Uh, uh, improvisational theater, where uh-huh. really there is the the contract that you get that you'd make with your other players is that that um, there is no such thing as a mistake. That uh, th- they say never deny a reality. So if something happens that isn't supposed to happen, you're supposed to treat it as if it is supposed to happen. Now try saying yeah. that three times fast, uh, and and that. That allows the the that creates an environment where instead of worrying about about did I do bad, what happens is that everybody is trying to weave the the events uh, that you're sharing with each other into something that is that that is wonderful or funny or beautiful, and that's exactly what we do in our in games. That's why the games the games that I try to teach people are games I call pointless games for two reasons. One is they really have no point. There's no, there's no, you don't get a trophy, you don't get an award, you don't, there's no lesson to be learned. They're all played for the fun of it. And the other is because we don't keep score. That kind of contract uh, is the kind of thing that, that provides people with the opportunity and the freedom to to not worry about making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I notice about play and um, really opening up to yourself and who you are as you as you get further and further into play is that um, your shadow and the different parts of you that don't always come out day to day tend to come out if you're really playing. And um, I wonder what you have to say about play and, and the different parts of ourselves coming out in, in the sense of what we learn out of play um, and what kind of stories you might have about that. I believe that what we learn out of play is how to have fun. And I think that's the most important thing. And if something happens, if you discover other aspects of yourself, that the that those are other ways that you can have fun, and it's important for you to accept them and embrace them. Um, that the whole idea of play is not to censor yourself, uh, but to celebrate yourself. Uh, and the parts of yourself that may that you may perceive as being dark are parts of yourself that you just need to accept and integrate into your playfulness. Because when you're at play, all of you is at play. Well, a shadow can also be the parts of ourselves that we can celebrate but often do not. We 
get all the degrees in the world like I have. And don't necessarily take the time to celebrate that, but keep moving on and moving on into new accomplishments. And I see that all the time with people where they don't stop to celebrate their successes, which, you know, so they bury them. And then, um, again, some of that comes out in the play, which I, I just love to see. Yeah, to celebrate your success and also to embrace your lack of success to embrace who you are and what you're capable of doing and and to weave the mistakes back into the the fabric of the beauty that you are as an individual. Can you say something about the role that that video games and and virtual games play in this topic? We've been talking a lot about the the physical face-to-face play, but what is the online and virtual aspect of this? have to contribute to the development of a play? Um, you know, um, I, the, my uh, well-played game is a book I wrote uh, uh, and was first published in 1978 by Doubleday. And uh, it was a book uh, that really just talked about these kinds of games that we're talking about, just just playfulness with your family, with other people, open-ended games. There was an organization called the New Games Foundation, um, where we had, where we played with thousands and thousands of people and created giant communities of play, all just physical games. Well, it turns out that that book is serving um, uh, people who are designing new computer games, uh, new uh, online experiences, um, or what they call pervasive games, which combine both computers or technology with actual physical contact. And they're discovering that uh, the the art of creating, um, uh, using technology to invite spontaneity, uh, creativity, um, the unexpected, is as uh, um, uh, empowering as any of the highly structured video games. And I think that's one of the things that's that's beginning to happen uh, is that people are. Uh, are beginning to be more open for the uh, the spontaneity part of play. Uh, one of the one of the the challenges of computer games has been that it's that you really can't allow for too much spontaneity. Yet some of the most successful computer games are those that can embrace it. So, for example, like The Sims, where you know people do unexpected things. Um, uh, you know, find different ways of playing other than the the designer had originally created. Because The Sims is like a uh, a playground, like a sandbox. Um, Second Life is another example of uh, of where that kind of play is taking place. Um, that invites people to 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 create their own their own play spaces. Well, I would invite uh, folks who are listening or will listen to the recorded version of our interview today to look at your website, Bernie, and all the different um, games and connections that you have there. Some of them I will be getting <laughs> myself as a play consultant advocate because I find I've already found some that are very playful and fun. So um, I'd invite people to do that. I do too. It's deep fun. One word, deep fun, not shallow fun, though that's part of it. But it's deepfun.com. Well, Bernie, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It was actually, 
I might use the word fun to describe it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Vernon DeCoven is the author of The Well-Played Game. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you for joining us, Bernie. A pleasure.